Hi, this is Thomas from Quest and Chaos. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and joining us on this chaotic adventure. If you want to listen to our other exciting podcasts, such as Swords and Sages, Chaos Agent, Spelljammer, and many more, please visit our website at questsandchaos.com slash podcasts for links to your favorite podcast platform of choice. Now, if you enjoyed this content and want to support us, please consider joining our Patreon for exclusive content, cast interaction, and more at patreon.com slash chaos. Now, enjoy the podcast. It's seen better day. <laughs> All right, are we ready to start this? No, but we'll do it anyway. All right. I forgot. How do we start this? Usually with some banter up front, and okay. then we mess things up a few times, Copy. and then we say the one joke of, are you ready to do this? No, but we should do it anyway. Then we go into it. Got it. So welcome, everybody, Hi. to this episode of the Untitled Podcast. It is episode Ten. Oh, I was so close to doing it before you. <laughs> so wanted to be like, ten. It's ten. You know, not even fast enough. Is the episode number of this. Today we've got a great show. We are, don't say it. Today we've got a show and we are talking about some things. Okay, I wasn't going to say it. You're like, don't say it. I was like, nothing came to my mind when you said don't say it. I was like, you don't. You don't watch these. I forget. No, I don't. I don't even edit them anymore. Okay, so what are we doing today? Mm, we're going to talk about some stuff. <laughs> are we? <laughs> uh. I love the fact that you tell me not what not to do and I just turn around and do it immediately. What are we doing? Okay, we're going to start with some updates. Updates. Um, things have happened this week. Have they? <laughs> punch in the face. Big Book of Battle Mats. Cyberpunk edition. Yes. So this is low-key battle maps. Yes. I always want to say maps, but it's maps. I know. I had to ask you before I typed it out because I was typing out M-A-P-S, but it's M-A-T-T-S. Um, no. It's M-A-T-S. Is it really? It's not battle mat. It's not battle mat. Can we, <laughs> if we had a son, could we call him battle mat? Uh, so if We it, are the dumbest yes. people I know. <laughs> Uh, that is not true, but we are close. <laughs> anyway, so we actually, actually, Thomas did the review of the yes. original battle, Matt, M-A-T, single T-S. <laughs> M-A-T, single T-S, that's two names. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for spell check, I couldn't get through life. It's still not going to, it's, it, I think battle, Ma it's like battle, Matt, it's short for battle, Matthew. Um, Absolutely, duh. With one T. Um, All right. So I did a review for Loki Giant Book of Battle Mats <laughs> with an S. Uh, they sent it to us. We did a review. Uh, pretty cool, uh, actually, especially if you're not a channel. You know, if you are just going to make an encounter, you can throw down a map and there are maps inside the map book. Uh, it's all. It's, it's all cool. kinds of crazy levels. No, the thing I liked about it was just the variety that they gave you. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, it wasn't like, oh, it's in the woods, it's a trail. It wasn't very repetitive because I feel like sometimes with the building that we do with all of your little Legos, I'm just going to call them Legos, um, your printable Legos, is that we kind of get stuck in this, here's a town, here's a road, here's a forest, 
that is it. Yeah. This one has beaches, castles, dungeons. Um, what I mean, else is it, it I mean, it definitely has the road. Yeah. And then it definitely has like planes next to the road. Like you could flip it out into two sides. Um, you can actually check out the video right up here. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think we like this one. I kind of liked it. I just thought the design yeah. was really nice. It was a decent size. It still fit in a bag. It laid flat, which is nice. So if you put your minis on it, it wasn't like you, they were kind of going uphill constantly as mm -hmm. they went to the center of the mat. Um, I don't know. Anything else that you liked about it? Uh, just quick and easy. And it, it was better than drawing them out by hand. Yeah. Absolutely better than yep. that. It and was it a was... big size. It was A4. So it was a, a mm -hmm. big book. But you could still Giant get book. it in a backpack. Yeah. Um, also, did we leave it at somebody's house? Uh, no, we left something else. Yes, we did. Yeah. It is at our game. Yeah, so it's actually in our home game at someone's house right now with Corona. <laughs> they don't have Corona. They're just <laughs> I know. not leaving the house okay. or letting anyone, anyone else in their house. So we can never get All our right. battle So uh, what else do we have going on? Mm, oh, so for Call of Cthulhu fans, uh, the two-book bestiary called Malice Monstronum. Say it fast for Mon me. Malice Monstronum. Okay, that sounds way better than my butchering of it. Um, so I'm sure that's exciting for somebody. I don't read, so I... <laughs> because you, you can tell can, because I can't spell. But don't, right? Kind of. I can't read. <laughs> no, I can't. Obviously, based on my spelling, M-A-T-T-S, yes. and also my inability to read Monstronum. Monstronum? That's good. Leviosa. No, no it's not. It's Leviosa. <laughs> Leviosa. Uh-uh. No, it's not. All right. So uh, the other big announcement, obviously, going on right now as we record this is Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. It's not going on right now. It's launched in September. But D&D Live is going right now. Yes. Re they're streaming, as we are recording this, the of people playing introductory modules mm -hmm. and things of this new campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and it's not spelled it's not a R H Y M E, which I thought it was until Thomas said, "What's a rhyme?" And I was like, "Well, duh, it so, rhymes." Yeah. So, so we looked up what rhyme was, uh, and it is a layer of frost that that goes on things. Yep. So basically, it is the chai tea of D and D. It is <laughs> the frost of the Frost Maiden. So yes. if you had to say it twice in case you were confused where we were, what we were doing. Exactly. It's going to get cold in there. Anyway, so we are, in fact, talking to people right now about starting up a new all virtual campaign playing through Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Mm -hmm. Yep. What is it? Zero to four, zero to 12? Zero to 12, zero to 16 something. Seems like it's a pretty long campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, probably one of those year-long campaigns when they release the next one next September. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're putting that together right now. If you are watching this, reach out to us if you are interested. We are definitely looking for a very diverse and amazing set of people. Yep, absolutely. You do not have to be in the Bay Area to play. We are looking for people who are all over the world. Um, as long as you can play in Pacific. Time. I was like, including <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Whoa. Why not? I mean, it's not like we're mailing Whoa. things to them. What if they live in Quebec? That's totally fine, too. No way. Yeah, because you know what I wouldn't do? Mail them anything. <laughs> Have them enter. Is is an audition process similar to a lottery? No. Okay. Not unless you expect there to be <laughs> Hunger Games at the end of it. There might be. 
You don't know. Well, we don't know. That's just what happens at home. Anyway, so hit us up if you are interested in that. We're in interviewing people. Of course, by the time this comes out, uh, we may have already talked to a number of people already. We have talked to a number of people. All right. So anyway, so that's happening. Um, that should be fun. We're looking to launch that pretty quick. Oh, I thought you were looking at introducing the next segment. Mm, why don't I look at introducing the next segment? <laughs> why don't you just do it instead of looking at it? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's right there. It's this week in Kickstarter. Pew, pew, pew. pew. You are just the slowest today. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Yeah. Not even. <laughs> like how we both muted our, I know. muted our computers. Pew, pew, pew. All right. So the first thing we have up in this week in Kickstarter are these interesting D&D 5e character cards made of wood. Oops. The hardwood mm-hmm. cards to track your abilities and spells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is similar, sort of, to the coaster thing that we talked about last, a few weeks ago. Sure. Which was canceled. Uh, yes. Also, turns out, those weren't little magnet balls. They mm-hmm. were just ball bearings. Okay. Which also probably not the greatest idea. I threw away a ball bearing today. What was a ball bearing too? Meh. That's why I threw it away. Were the other 999 <laughs> I ball don't bearings. know either. There's a bag out there missing a ball bearing. <laughs> exactly. There's, and, a, there's a bard or a rogue somewhere. And this is why ball bearings are a bad idea. <laughs> Found one in the bathroom and just said, what is this doing here? Oh, here's the garbage. And the end of life. Yeah, you sit on that and figure out, you just go through the mental history of all the things you think you have ball bearings that are missing. <laughs> why would And why would any one of those things that use ball bearings be in the bathroom? I don't think I don't think like the hair trimmer. I don't think there's any ball bearings in like the hair dryer or the toilet paper. Toilet paper has no. Does it have ball bearings? No, it, no, does it not, doesn't. But that could be interesting. <laughs> That's a little over designed, probably, for a toilet paper dispenser to have ball bearings. Are we going to talk about the dice trays here that we're looking at? <laughs> or are we just going to talk about butt ball bearings? First off, where did now? Now they're getting into places where they shouldn't be. Oh my goodness. All right. So, uh, D&D 5e character cards. These mm-hmm. people are happy that we were talking about their product. Are they really? No. Okay. No, I probably wouldn't be Well, you know what good news is? They probably <laughs> don't know that we're talking about them. So, there's that. We should definitely link to their Twitter. Yes. Uh, so, these uh, look cool because they don't use ball bearings. This is true. Uh, so I They mean, use dice. So, hmm. and unless you're one of the rare few people who only have one set of dice the, or those, borrow. Those people are called uh, Nick. maniacs. What? That's right. Nick doesn't have dice. Yeah. And he, for a while, I lived in the diceless world as well. That's just because you forgot them. Well, that's part of it. Right. And I only had one or two pairs. So Nick would actually forget his dice. No, no, no. Nick bought a set of dice specifically to have at, at the DM's house mm-hmm. so that he would always have a set of dice. Is that kind of like what we did with the battle mats? Kind of. Okay. Yeah. I can't blame him then. Now, is that, does that, does, does that mean that we were like, hey, Jason, we don't really like <laughs> your, your map style of drawing. So here's this expensive book that you could just keep over there. Uh, no, so I don't that, think so. Just okay. when he goes to the bathroom, we draw on his mats for him anyway. <laughs> but I digress. How do like you feel 20. about okay. what's going on here? These look, actually, these look really cool. I kind of like these. 
Uh, I would certainly have so, these at the table. I got a little confused though when I read this. Actually, when I saw it and tried to look at a picture and figure out what it is, because right. I don't read directions. Remember, we're gonna visit that whole Amy doesn't read thing. This is a theme. Um, so I like to look at things, try and figure out how they are before I actually read directions. Okay. You know, So Ikea for me is just a lot of fun. Um, so looking at this battle master thing, I would be like, okay, so what do I, I put some dice in here, like, you know, the round peg in the square hole kind of thing. Yeah. Um, let's figure out what goes in here and then what am I supposed to do with it? So that was a little bit challenging for me to just sort of say, okay, how am I supposed to use this exactly? Right, so I think if, A, this requires you to have played a battle master fighter, right? To know what- No, to have read. <laughs> well, okay, that's true. Or even to have read, I mean, I've read it. It doesn't remember mean I remember anything about playing a battle. Well, master. no, I'm saying that if you were a battle master, you would have probably read the entire right. class section in the handbook. So, kind of reading their their sort of uh, intro to what it is, it was that they were playing. Uh, this guy was playing with his daughter and and her friends, and one of them kept forgetting that they had the super 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 duper. Yeah, superiority. Okay. I don't know what that means. Uh, compact superiority. There, why does that look like a J? Anyway, reading it's combat superiority dice, mm -hmm. um, and they get you know so many of them at third level four. Looking at this, mm -hmm. one at seventh and another one at fifteenth level. Mm -hmm. um, so this is kind of made to say if you have dice in these spots, you have them available. Yep. Or the other method is if you have a dice in this spot, it tells you how many of th one thing right. that you have left. So I think that you know scrolling down to the sort of the uh, the cleric tracker there right here where. Mm -hmm. This person, you know, this indicates that there are five first level spell slots. Okay. Yep. And then at the bottom where it says channel divinity, that is the fact that at second level, sixth level, and bleh, I can't read that far. What is it? 18th level, you get a channel divinity. So therefore, it's not about the number that's on the dice, but the fact that you do have a die there. Yes. In order to roll it to remind you that you actually could use it. Yes. So, um, because when I did that, I would just write these things down on a piece of paper on my character sheet and just make sure and look at it every once in a while. Right. And then I would make uh, crib notes as far as what my channel divinity was based on my... D&D mm -hmm. &D Beyond actually has checkboxes for you to do yes. all of these things. Mm -hmm. However, so my one bit of feedback, I am not a lawyer, especially not an IP lawyer or any lawyer for that matter. Are Let's you just, a D&D rules lawyer? I am a D&D rules lawyer. No, you're not. Uh, I'm a D&D &D rules public defender. <laughs> I will do it for free. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Public defenders get paid. What do you mean? Well, uh, they shouldn't. Okay. No, that's not true. They should. Um, What's your point? Okay. My point is nope. uh, looking at the OGL oh, yeah. license, these little icons here are not mm -hmm. public domain Correct. uses. So you cannot. Well, here's the thing is that you can use them. So like while we stream on Twitch, um, we can use D&D IP because right. obviously we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. We're using their, you know, their source modules and stuff. Right. But we can never take anything that has their any of their trademark items, put them on another product and then turn yeah. around and sell that product. Yes. Uh, and again, not lawyers, um, but definitely. So I was looking in the OGL specifically for these and they list out symbols as things that are. Um, not available for you. Mm -hmm. Good catch. I didn't even notice that. Uh, so if you notice, those symbols are the are the official ones from the books. Uh, mm -hmm. They are on um, the officially licensed uh, mm -hmm. spell cards from mm -hmm. Gale Force Nine. Yep. 
Uh, so I don't know if you need to reach out to them or if you need to change them. Or maybe they have already and we just don't know yeah, it. You're just be. assuming that somebody didn't when oh, they actually yeah. do potentially have permission. Or you're small enough where it doesn't matter, but hey. Highly possible. It's a big company. Um, especially look at how much are they. So they basically did a $500 goal. They're at $37.69 um, and they still have 26 days to go, which means that several people yeah. bought at least one. It could definitely um, get very big and they actually look pretty cool. I, I wouldn't mind picking up um, okay. a few of these so or talking much, about them if you sent us a set. How much money would you spend on this? Well, let's look at the pledge bounds. Uh, so $10 just to say, keep You're going. cool. Um, what is this? So domestic wood is $15 for one. Well, and that was my question is that, you know, for me, I will throw somebody 10 bucks or whatever, like the minimum pledge is something mm -hmm. like that. Um, if I'm looking and something catches my eye and I was like, cool. At $15 now though, it's like, I have to pick one. What do you get? Because yeah. you could be in multiple games. Like, are you going to play a fighter? Are you going to play a battle master? Are you going, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it doesn't make sense to buy just one. We are a little different. Mm -hmm. There are, I know some people who will only play the same class. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So they, they're like, I am either, I am a rogue or I'm a ranger and that's it. Mm -hmm. I just like to play those two classes. That's all I do. Okay. Um, there are others that like to switch things up. Yep. Um, and try new things. And that's definitely mm -hmm. where, I, yeah, where yeah. we are, especially when we have things like the mitten and everything else where we are choosing to play things specifically because we've not played them before. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so, so if, you uh, wanted if you want to the buy full group, shebang, there you go. That was my question. Of, uh, so if you want the, so there's there's different types of wood. So there's domestic wood, and then there's exotic wood, mm -hmm. which comes from uh, overseas to the U.S. So paduke um, or purple hearth, uh, those more expensive woods. Um, are going to cost more. So if you want all of them domestic, $120. Not bad. Nope. Uh, $220 for the exotic woods. But And just think, if I didn't play d and I'd probably mistake them for a coaster and put a glass of wine on it. You know, they look like they're sealed. That'd be great, because I also know many people who spill things. So, you know, this is the, this is the maple. Or this, this is the mm -hmm. cherry. This is the maple. Um, this is my favorite, walnut. Mm, yeah, that's where you and I disagree on life. I mean, so but... that's walnut right there. Mm -hmm. um, so the maple is lighter, the cherry is richer? I don't know if that's... More yellow-red. Okay. Anyway, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It's a great little product, I think. Um, yeah, I see dangerous things in me and alcohol, but that's a whole other mm -hmm. story. Um, that can be applied just in general, not just to Kickstarter items, <laughs> mm -hmm. like walking. Anyway, so this is cool. Wrap it I, up. Wrap I, it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. What do you think? I think that we should talk to them and have to give give us some for free. Okay. Actually, I think that I we should back it. Okay, that too. Fantastic. These would be good gifts as well. Yeah, actually, it would be amazing gifts, especially if you bought like the entire package and then gave them to people at your gaming table who were specific oh. characters. In fact, you could say, you could give somebody the cleric one and be like, you're the cleric. And make mean. them 
Somebody's got to be the cleric. <laughs> is that what the whole point is? Look yes. at because you are. You can the take cleric. the bard one and throw it away <laughs> and pretend there's not no bards. You can't be a bard. There's no bard tracker. There can only be one bard. You can't have no, an entire can't party be any of bards. bards. No bards. All right. All right, so Merry Christmas, everybody. Guess what you're getting? Not bards. All right. Okay. So uh, the next one that we were going to jump into is one that you found. Uh, and we watched a little bit of this uh, video. This is called The Age of Atlantis. This Is, is, there, a... is there music with it? <laughs> <laughs> I love Siri. She's the worst and the best. Yes. Uh, so this is a competitive engine building civilization game. Uh, so when you're looking at this, there, mm -hmm. there are a number of cool mechanics. So it is a resource... Uh, management yep. game there is a Civ tech tree like a civilization style tech mm -hmm. tree mm -hmm. um, that you are individually going through actually it looks pretty interesting okay and to me this when i was looking at it i looked at okay how many people have backed it it's relatively new to kickstarter so when i found it it was still you were still like in that 30-day range yeah. um and it's already got i think it funded in a couple hours. And again, we're at $122,000. So this is going to be a popular game. Yep. Um, to me, it's not exactly my bag, if you will, my cup of tea, um, because of the fact that it kind of reminds me of games that I will play. But I'm not like, yeah, let me play this if I want to really enjoy it. Um, yeah. So it reminds, it's got some components of like, like you said, civilization. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Agricola. What else did it remind you of? I can't remember. I may have made some notes and now can't find them. <laughs> I just uh, have Civ and Agricola. Yeah. So this is this is the part here that always makes me a competitive. Move. Yeah, I'm less interested in competitive games. I'm a co I'm a co-op gamer. Yeah, but again, too, like you know, again, you used to love Agricola. You love Lords of Vegas. All of this stuff is not cooperative. All of this stuff is competitive. Um, Anyway, but I digress. They are, so, they're from Wisconsin. I know, that's also why I saw it and was like, hey, good on you for making a game. Um, also, Eldorado Games, this is their second game. So they are, you know, a company with, with um, at least one under their belt at this point in time. And they've been around, I think their first game was like three years ago or something, four years ago, three okay. years ago. Anyway, I digress. Stop um, digressing. Well, then tell <laughs> me about it. What, is I di what does digress mean? That means... I'm just gonna go back, like. Ah, okay. Whoa, whoa! I... Look at this animation. Okay. We're leading our citizens, building the city, unleashing myths. That's kind of interesting. What? Attack um, intruders? It just says unleash myths. Uh, so I think you know, there's a minotaur, there's like a pegasus, pegasus yeah. there's um, one other thing. <laughs> um, and Poseidon is in here as well. Yeah. So essentially, you are trying to take over or have the most political capital in Atlantis. And yeah, it's a spinning Poseidon. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. No, 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 no. What is exciting is a four page rule book. Oh, so I can't even talk about what you're supposed to do in the game. You're just gone to like the best part of the game is the fact that there's so little reading that I would even read it. I, do we need to get this just so that you could read four whole pages? I don't know if I'd make it through. I'd just be like, you know what? I did half. That's plenty. Eh, you know, you know, fifty percent of the rules. Can fine. you explain what enough. the game is about for the love of, for the love of everybody uh, listening? Let's see, Minotaur. It's not about a Minotaur. It's not about Cerberus. Pegasus. That's it. It's dogs. Mm -hmm. As well as centaurs. Yep, it's and four you can myths. put exciting little meeple thingies on top of it. So as 
a ruling house, there are four ruling houses in Atlantis, what are you supposed to do? How do you play this game? Uh, you are mining a resource called not unobtainium. <laughs> it's called something that starts with a C. Coachellum? I don't know. It's it's. <laughs> so it's millennium. It's millennials in like the Coachella Valley. Exactly. Cool. Uh, Akamine. Nope. Akamine's razor. Nope. Not even that. Um, it is Greek, but I can't. It's so far away. This monitor, this this monitor is so far away. For the, we should just do. No, I can't. You know what? We should just scrap this podcast and just be like world's worst reviews. <laughs> I think world's most confusing reviews should be the name of our show. Well, it's it still starts untitled. with a C. I don't know where it is anymore. It's not a C. It starts with an O. <laughs> Olymp I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Olympitanium. <laughs> Hold on. Um, You're going to edit this, right? No. Not, not at, all. at all. Not at all. We never do. I promise you it's in here somewhere. I should have written it down, but, you know, the writing and the reading thing, it's really kind of a drag. Anyway. Okay. Hmm. So, unobtainium. It's the stupid avatar thing. Okay. I'll go with it. I'm buying it's it. It's not it. It's Nope. I'll find it. You keep talking about what they do. Okay. Uh well, so you mine this resource that allows you to uh expand your technology tree very fast. You place workers and put the workers to work. Mm -hmm. You build buildings mm -hmm. and you defend the island from intruders. Yep, but you also have to appease Poseidon, otherwise Poseidon will flood you. Correct. Yep. Which again, all problems could be solved if you had Perseus and Medusa's head. So, a, I'm sorry, a, I, did, I didn't read those books. There's a Kraken in there. Okay. Anyway, continue. So you have read. No, I saw the movie <laughs> twice. Was that with uh, Harry? Uh... Yeah, it was. Okay, anyway. Uh, so this looks like a fun game. I think... Uh... Does it? Because we don't even know what happens here. Uh, this looks like a fun game, and I bet someone we know is going to back it so we can play their copy when they get it. So I found it. It was in very light-colored font. Um, it's discovered... Oh, God, my reading is the worst reading ever. Discovered a new element called Oricellum. Oricellum? Yeah, it's right there. Oricellum. I think I was close. It's, it's, it is definitely almost Coachella. <laughs> it is definitely almost Occam's Razor. It's... Ocella. Anyway, so you've got a couple things you can do. Um, what I find interesting about this one is that games like Lords of Waterdeep, a lot of games you kind of do your XP around the top of the board. So you do your victory points at the end. So everybody at the end of the game, when you reach a certain threshold, you count up all your points and then you go across the tracker and whoever at the end is the winner is the winner. With this one, um, your victory points are called political points. Um, and again, it's that same style where it's one, two, three, four, five, yeah. all the way around the board. Um, and you track it um, immediately, essentially for every single action that you do, you start to track it. Um, and it feels like just watching some of the playthroughs that there's a lot of victory points to be had. You know, so it's like, I got five, you've got six, I've got seven. It's not like, oh, I go five turns and I finally get one kind of thing. Have you played Lords of Waterdeep? Yeah. Well, that's my style. I wait and then just blow out, like blow everybody out of the water. Gotcha. Like I hoard stuff and then I'm like, and here is my 75th move with 120 um, points. But with Lords of Waterdeep, you have to use it. Otherwise, those um, treachery cards are going to come and take away your 
Not if you play with new people who don't know how to play. Well, okay. That's cheating. Amy likes to play board games with children who have no idea what to play. And she's like, and I still lose half the time. She still flips the board over on them. And they're like, yay, flip the board. (laughs) It's the best game ever. So that is going to wrap it up for this week in Kickstarter. We are going to go off and do our very next thing. Amy, you want to tell us what that is? Ooh, yes, 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 yes. So we had a chance to talk to, don't look at me like that. (laughs) I can see you. We had a chance to talk to Mark Sherbert from Ice Cream Dice. He has a new... Schubert. Shut up. I knew I was going to say that. I knew it. I knew it. Mark Schubert from Ice Cream Dice. Not Sherbert. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. Anyway, so we... Somebody at our table, Tiana has a set of ice cream dice. That was mm-hmm. his first Kickstarter. And so they are gorgeous looking dice that every time I see them, I want to eat something ice cream related. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they have an ice cream sandwich? I don't think so. But there is like a root beer float and and again, the, I'll The care. Neapolitan with yes. the chocolate, strawberry, vanilla. But I mostly care about the root beer float. Um, anyway, so that was their first Kickstarter. This is his second Kickstarter. And so we just have a general conversation about like the things that he learned between the Kickstarters, um, how he involved the community into the Kickstarters. And so his Kickstarter that is happening this month and has approximately 10-ish days left is Pride Volume 1. And they are absolutely gorgeous dice that are tri-colored, if not more than tri-colored. Um, you know, he's at $62,000. One thing I really like about this campaign when I backed it was the fact that if you back the campaign, you actually get the add-ons. Um, so again, I will be getting pins and other exciting things besides just the set of dice of my choice. Um, and again, too, what's really nice again is that um, his stuff actually goes into production after the fact. So even if you do miss the Kickstarter, at least with ice cream dice, um, you can still purchase the dice. So. Should we take a look? Yeah, let's let's talk to Mark. All right, uh, we are going to welcome Mark Schubert from Ice Cream Dice to the podcast. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. That's good. Um, <laughs> you did such a great intro, Thomas. Um, just for everybody's sake, we probably rehearsed this maybe twice, and there was a whole thing like Mark Schubert from Ice Cream Dice, who so, now currently has a Kickstarter called Pride Volume 1. There was going to be so much information in I th- there. I think I got most of that. Yeah. Hi, Mark. How yeah. are you? Was that a great intro? <laughs> Works for me. You know, sim- simple is often the best, contrary to popular belief. Um, actually just, I kind of want to jump right into it because you're like, simple is the best. But when I look at your dice design, I think honestly, they're kind of complicated. So when I look at the Kickstarter Pride Volume 1 and look at, and again, I'm just scrolling for all the pod, the actual listener listeners, scrolling through some of these pictures, like the asexual dice have like four layers. I mean, to me, that seems complex. Is It is and it isn't. Um mm-hmm. There's, I could get into like a whole bunch of technical stuff uh, and, and some of it is incredibly limiting. Um, the, the best way to put it is that uh, I get all my dice mass manufactured, mass produced, like none of my stuff, none of my designs are handmade except for mm-hmm. the big AD20, which is the 55 okay. beast, right? And even that I'm not making myself, I have a team that makes it for me because 
I haven't had the time to practice making dice by hand, but the, the technical aspects of layers is basically when they go to pour the resin into molds, um, mm -hmm. the layer has to be at least three millimeters thick in order for it to partially cure before they put the next one on. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that became challenging was, you know, people are like, oh, like, are you going to do a full, you know, original eight bar pride sets like the big gay d20 and i i would love to but one of the things that i did with this kickstarter over the last one because i just i piled so much on with the last one that this one i really wanted to simplify and it's and that is a difficult thing for me to do i am uh some people throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks i just throw it all at the wall look and go oh that could be a design that could be a design that could mm -hmm. be a design i should design that i should and it's fun from a creative perspective but from a business perspective it's not sustainable right mm -hmm. and ultimately the goal is to make this business sustainable it's it's getting there it's close but mm -hmm. you know from, but yeah, from a technical aspect, like the, the lesbian set was the one that I was really, really impressed with from, from the factory I work with because you've got five layers. You've got the red and the orange, which are similar in tone and like there's a distinction between it. And then you've got the, like the pink and the purple, which also are similar tones and there's a distinction. Uh, the, the one technical thing that I'm happiest about is that they made the purple stripe, which I requested them to do, but requests don't always get translated into actual, you know, fact and, yeah. and workability. Was that the purple layer in the in the bisexual set be thinner than the pink and the blue as it actually is in the flag? Because if you just say, I want a three layer set and you give them the colors, they're just gonna make them all equal unless you say something specifically, right? So like I sent them reference photos, I said, you know, like it should be X, you know, like it needs it needs to be thinner. And they nailed it really well. I was like, I was super pleased with those samples. So where's your distributor? Is it overseas or is it? Overseas, yeah. Unfortunately, okay. there's the, the only company that I know of that's American based that actually makes dice is Chessex. Mm -hmm. The problem is Chessex doesn't do custom dice that are actually custom. They will they will customize their existing designs for you. But I mean then you're you know they're they're very good for like conventions or for a giveaway or whatever or for promotion, right? Because every almost everyone who's ever played a role-playing game owns a set of Chessex dice, yep. right? Like they are the grandfathers in many ways for most of us modern gamers. Like mm -hmm. my first two sets were Chessex. My, one of my all-time favorite sets is actually a Chessex set, you know? And it's, I looked and I mean, maybe I just didn't look hard enough, but everyone I've talked to is like, no, you, you, you have to go overseas. So yeah, my dice are mass produced in China. My fulfillment team is run by a former British guy who's been in, um, who's lived in China for the last eight years now. Mm -hmm. And we sort of bonded over uh, charities actually, because he runs yeah. a school there that tutors rich 
uh, Chinese kids for English. Mm-hmm. And then he takes that money and he uses that money to buy school supplies for schools that are impoverished across the world. Like he sends school supplies to Africa. He mm-hmm. supplies a lot of school supplies to China. And I kind of came into this dice thing through uh, a charity and a school group that I worked with. So okay. I was made still am ish um, mm-hmm. an educational assistant for kindergarten and the school that I worked at in Edmonton here is one of the poorest schools in the entire city and a lot of the kids come from very challenging circumstances and after working with a young man with autism and seeing uh, the benefits socially and and like of conflict resolution and risk taking and one of the most important things that I really sort of try and teach anyone that I work with, uh, particularly if they're young, is to ask for help, right? Like that lesson that you cannot do everything on your own. Like there's very few characters that are ever going to be able to slay an entire dragon by themselves, right? Like there's a reason why we build our parties with, you know, with that sensibility in mind, because we understand that some some party members will have skills that we don't, right? So I started with this group, we finished off the year and partway through, I realized that if I didn't get them supplies, they would never be able to play D&D again. Mm -hmm. So I was in the midst of a name change and the board still had me as my former last name So I decided to launch a GoFundMe with the goal of raising a thousand bucks and the thousand bucks was going to buy some starter kits and what I call DM kits. So it was the three core books, battle mat, markers, minis, Mm -hmm. like basically everything you needed, you would ever need to actually play for the rest of your life, really, right? And the response was insane. Um, It started super, super slow. Like the first 11 days I raised, I think like 200 bucks kind of thing, you know, and uh, there was the local Edmonton D&D group. There was a couple of guys there and they reached out to me. They said, hey, we won't give you money, but we will put together the kits that you want to put together. So they came and met my kids and like brought two of the DM kits, which was amazing because in my mind, I was two thirds of the way there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other hundred bucks, if I had, if I had to beef it up to get, give these kids what I wanted to give them, I was fine with that. And then I had an interview with uh, one of the local free papers here that is basically like, you go to any train station or bus station, like yep. it's, mm-hmm. it's there. Right. Yeah. And they did an interview with me and it just blew up. It, by the time it was all said and done, I raised over five thousand oh, wow. uh, dollars. GoFundMe has a um, a give back fund, so basically, there's a team in GoFundMe that goes through the GoFundMe's, chooses ones that they like, and then gives them a thousand bucks. So that was a big that was a big boost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beam Dog, who is local to Edmonton, they gave me some books. They uh, they also gave me some cash. Uh, the guy who owns Wiz Kids Minis. Yep. Sent me a giant box of minis and also donated to the fund. And like it, it just got to the point where with that much money, I had to do something bigger 
and mm -hmm. and more than just give my kids like the most pimped out you know crazy <laughs> gold label D&D stuff possible so I started I started an unregistered nonprofit that I call uh Forging Heroes now mm -hmm. and basically if any school club anywhere actually at this point in time I've I haven't gone in I haven't gone like overseas yet but I've gone and sent a bunch of stuff to some school clubs in the States. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I'll do often in that case is rather than sending them a box of stuff because Canada Post is atrocious, yep. I will literally say, send me your Amazon list and send me the address. And then I just mm -hmm. buy as much of it as I can afford to buy at that point in time and send it to them. And it's it's been great. Uh, it definitely got It definitely got slower between the onset of the business launching mm -hmm. and COVID-19, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically where the, the nonprofit part of things led into ice cream dice becoming a reality was I wanted to make my kids custom dice. I was like, that'd yeah. be so cool. Right. It's like mm -hmm. memory for me, memory for them. And I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do it in time. But I was like, wonder what would happen if I got this so I started with Neapolitan Orange Dream and originally I was trying for what became Mint Crit after three or four different iterations you know and I talked to my wife I said hey I want to release dice that look like ice cream but I want to do a kickstarter mm -hmm. how much money of ours can I spend on this yeah her answer was none. <laughs> Zero. <Smart laughs> you know, and in part of it is because back in 2013, I had a failed Kickstarter that, you know, we absorbed as a family. And that was for a coffee advent calendar because I love coffee and I want to promote yeah. like small Canadian roasters and eventually try and do like a US version of it too, because you guys have some great roasters down there. Mm -hmm. And it just, it failed miserably, but I took everything that I learned from that failure. Mm -hmm and applied it to the ice cream dice one. So what and... were some of those things? You know, cause that's kind of like, so I didn't know your history before ice cream dice. So I didn't know you did another Kickstarter or that you had to go fund me. So like, what were some of the key differences? Cause even now I look at your first Kickstarter, the ice cream dice Kickstarter and like yeah. what was on it. And then this one, and to me, it's like, in some respects, it's night and day. Like the current one that you have going on with Pride Volume 1 is like, it's tight. It's com it, There's community involvement. There's a lot of stuff going on here that compared yeah. to your old one was kind of like, oh, you get a sticker and then this happens. You know what I mean? It's just like this one feels so much more put together. So like my Thank question you. is just kind of walk me through your Kickstarter evolution, if you will. So the, the first Kickstarter was for a company that I called uh, 24 Coffee because it was an advent calendar. You got 24 yeah. spots, right? And I launched it. I did my research and research at that point in time said that July was the best month to launch because that is typically when most people have the most disposable income. It wasn't a particularly okay. cheap thing and it also wasn't garishly priced. But I initially launched it from my my personal account, and then I transitioned into a business account. Mm -hmm. Like I launched a business Twitter, but I launched it like pretty much in the midst of launching the Kickstarter. So there was 
there was no real attention. And ultimately what it was, was that account spamming a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, trying not to, but like there, I didn't, I wasn't able to have a community accept me, much Mm -hmm. less have a community that I could help build up and around. Yeah. So it failed twice. And I realized that like one of the big things was there was no lead up. There was no marketing, you Mm -hmm. know, and So with Ice Cream Dice, I decided for better or for worse that I was going to release samples, give away samples and, you know, just show people what was what was coming, even if it was, you know, I had a goal in my head that I wasn't going to launch unless I had at least 1500 backer or 1500 followers on Twitter. Like that was that was my goal. And did you You send when you said samples, um, did you send actual like dice samples to people who you thought would review it or at least had good Twitter followings that would promote you? No, I I don't do that um, at all. I, I think it's it works for some people and for some people mm-hmm. it drives with their brand and who they are. But honestly, my entire attitude towards things is I would rather have 10 people who are enthusiastic, genuinely about my product, talking about it to their friends, mm-hmm. than give it to someone who's, you know, maybe a thousand people see it, but it's just, it's a hard sell, right? It's like, this was brought to you by ice cream dice, you know, like it just, there's a disingenuous, it's disingenuous to me mm-hmm. and for all the problems that there are within our community and as and I mean there's a lot and it's also very amazing is like we're generally pretty savvy and we don't like being sold to right it's like it kind of it kind of puts our feelers up so I I don't spend much on marketing at all um, okay and it's not like it's not a cocky arrogant thing it's i just i like taking pictures of my dice and like that's that ultimately be, became my marketing particularly for the first one cuz i had um i had a friend of mine on twitter who was like hey i found this really amazing vase that you should use so like that's the one with the hand and the waffle cone right on the first one mm-hmm. and it didn't ship to canada and I had no money really to spend on this. And it wasn't, it wasn't like incredibly expensive, but it was out of my price range, especially with exchange rates. So I made a trade. I said, tell you what, you buy the vase for me, you ship it to me. And if the Kickstarter succeeds, you get a dozen of my designs, a dozen sets at any point in time. You call it, you get it, mm-hmm. plain and simple. If it doesn't fund, you accept me paying you back, right? Like, yeah, you know. I mean, and I bought like a photo box. I bought a couple of photo lights. So I mean, I I wanted to pro like I wanted to promote them in their best light. Mm-hmm. And also, honestly, like I don't I don't color boost my photos. I don't edit okay. them. Um, hmm. There, there's a lot on the first one where you can see like cat hair that's like that long <laughs> and it it drives me nuts like i look at them i'm like oh damn it i just noticed that it was also your hand in a lot of pictures i was like oh that's got to be his hand it can't be like oh, yeah. you know what i mean it's not yeah. staged you just yeah, did I, this i yeah. go into my backyard and i use my phone 
and I take my pictures. And sometimes I use, um, after the first one, I was able to buy myself a nicer camera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've got, I do have a macro lens on that, but like, ultimately it's still not edited. It's just a higher quality picture because it's higher resolution. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like the first one taught me to lead up and do and market, mm -hmm. but in a way that was true to who I am. Okay. And then ice cream dice. I didn't, I didn't know how to say no. I wanted to okay. have all the cool things right? Like I really wanted to please pretty much anyone and everyone. That was, it was a great goal and it was foolish, right? <laughs> like I really stretched myself insanely thin to the point that like, I'm, I'm still have things that I have to ship out for it. Not many, you know, but there's things that I shipped out months ago that just got returned recently where it's just like, ah, wrong address and it sucks. But mm -hmm. Ultimately, like one of the things that I got feedback for on my first one, uh, particularly around stretch goals, was a lot of backers really prefer a first time Kickstarter to be focused on the product that they're raising funds for. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you go back and back and back into the history of Kickstarter, like stretch goals weren't a thing for years yep. and years and years. Yep. And I remember that. Now, now they're almost expected, mm -hmm. right? So as a creator, it becomes a very, very tough challenge. You know, how do like, do I go with no stretch goals and hope that people think it's a quality enough product on its own to just fund it? Mm -hmm. Or do I go with stretch goals? And if so, like how, how do I go about getting them? You know, like, who do I work with? And I got, I was incredibly fortunate in, in many ways that I had some really great people within the community work with me. Uh, mm -hmm. Friendly Dungeon Mom, Brittany Hay, yep. who designed the, the dice bags and came on board for this one to design the stickers, which was awesome. Because mm -hmm. people, like, a lot of the things that I do are really kind of, built around and very heavily influenced by community. Uh, I'm not, myself, I'm not a pin person. Mm -hmm. I, I have this weird thing and I think it's because I grew up so damn poor that like, I can't willingly put holes in my clothes. <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's just like, like when I have to wear like one of those like name badges, I'm just like, I hope it doesn't make too big a hole. I hate to tell you yeah. this, but like I'm somebody like that too. So we actually, in my bag, I have a lanyard that I carry with me. So in case you go someplace that somebody's like, here, put this name badge on. I was like, oh, let me grab my lanyard. Let me clip into your pin and then put it around my neck. I should do that. I should, yeah, I should really actually do that. But then, I, but then I have to battle the thing that I hate anything touching the back of my neck. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, like it's, you know, it's one of those things where you know, I talk to people, they're like, oh, dude, mm -hmm. you should do a pin. Like people love them and it's, and it's, yeah. you know, and it promotes, and obviously like it promotes my brand, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the other great thing about it. Yeah. So, you know, like bags were a given, obviously mm -hmm. I wasn't going to send people out their Dyson plastic bags. Uh, pins came in, stickers came in. Mm -hmm. And then partway through the campaign is when dog Mike came in with the boxes. Yep. And then I brought on, because a lot, a lot of my stretch goal people were either 
done overseas mm -hmm. or US based. And like, I really wanted to try and bring at least some of that money home to, to Canada, mm -hmm. right? So I reached out to Galaxy Gaming Gear and they designed my dice tower for me, right? Okay. Which was, it was great. I, you know, but it was just way too much. It was way too much stuff. And the mm -hmm. other thing that I didn't know going into it, because I had absolutely no previous retail experience. Do, do either of you have retail experience? Uh, Not professionally, no. Well, I do. Really, do you? Yes. I, I, I worked okay. at a skate shop when I was in oh, okay. college. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. that, that will count then. Yeah. So then you're familiar with SKUs. Yes. Yeah. So to put things in perspective, so SKU, I did, right? UPC code. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. My first Kickstarter had almost 40 different UPC codes. Okay. So that's. This is based yeah, off of eight see. designs in two finishes plus everything else, right? Like it just. I did see that. I was like, I, cause like when I looked at the first Kickstarter, cause again, I think my friend Tiana backed um, ice cream dice. And when she brought it, I was like, now I'm hungry. God damn it. I was like, come on, be stop. Ice cream sandwiches I know. I was like, there's gotta be a ripper float here somewhere. Come on. Um, but she would be like, Ooh, look at this. And when I went to look at the Kickstarter and the website, I was like the Kickstarter, there was so much like it's glossier, it's matte. And then it's this or it's that. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, I can't give people that many choices. I can't even think about that many choices. Yeah, right. And like, that was, that was, that was a huge part of it was like, mm -hmm. I, I just essentially blurted everything on, you know, as, as a possibility, it. as an option. That makes sense now. Yeah. And not understanding retail, not understanding how complicated I was actually making things. Mm-hmm doing it the way I was when that one was done and I started thinking about the second one and you know people started asking me if I was going to do pride designs I was like yes mm -hmm. like so know, is that where the idea is that where that came from was just people asking you or was you know like did you have yeah. another idea in your head like I really want to do this but people are asking I, I do I've got probably two or three lines that are like sitting in my brain, ready to write, mm -hmm. ready to go through sample mode and stuff like that. And pride was never the intention mm -hmm. because there's other people out there that are doing pride, yeah. you know, and right. And I, and I, at the time I was identifying as, as hetero mm -hmm. and cis, right. So like, it really felt like I wasn't the right person to do it. And a lot of people asked me, they're like, dude, please do pride designs. Please do pride designs. And eventually mm -hmm. I, I reached out to some of my friends through Twitter who are members of the respective communities that I'm representing in volume one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, it seems that people want me to do this. What do you think? Like, mm -hmm. is this me running the gay capitalism charade? Yeah. Or is this me actually giving people a way to represent themselves at a table in a meaningful way? And I talked to people who knew me well enough to tell me that I'm full of shit, <laughs> right? Like that, that was key to me was I didn't, I didn't want people that are just going to blow smoke, right? It's like, I don't need to be told that, yes, I can do this. What I need to be told is 
am I damaging yep. or lifting up the community by doing this, you know? So yeah, like it, it really was, was a community ask mm-hmm. and, and I hesitated and I hesitated and it's like more and more people from, from various communities were asking. And then I reached out to my friends within the community and was just like, Hey, you know, should I do this? And they're like, yeah, you've, you've shown yourself to be an ally. Mm-hmm. You're not interested, like, you know, you're not some of the other companies that hedge back and forth or are only, you know, promoting pride stuff when it's pride month and it sells yeah. their, you know, their mass market rainbow dice. I said, okay, good. It's like that meant more to me than anything else because I value myself and, and I see myself as an ally and there's so much to learn within that, that being told that I'm seen as an ally when I'm not asking that question is, uh-huh. you know, I'm not saying that it proves that I'm an ally because proof is in the action. Right. Mm-hmm. But it shows that people perceive me as such. And that was, yeah. that was a big deal. So I got my first samples done in September. Well, actually, I probably got them done in August, but like I received them in September. Okay. And then I went to Spiel and at Spiel, my dice never cleared customs. So thankfully I had all my set. It's, it's a common possible? thing. It's a common thing. Really? Um, yes. So 2018, mm-hmm. the game, I don't, I don't know what game it is, but the game that won game of the year at Spiel of their stock never made it to the show. So they get this prestigious award and they literally have, like they were sold out of their game before they got the award. I just wonder why Germany doesn't accept dice through, like through customs. Well, I think part of it was because it was my first time trying to ship internationally for, for a convention. And I didn't, I pack the boxes like I pack boxes, which is if it fits and I can write it on the label, what it is, yep. good enough, right? So I had a mix of like apparel and dice and I had my cash box and my square machine and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And it just- It wasn't necessarily the dice. It could have been anything that tipped them off or- It, it could have been anything yeah, or the yeah. fact that it just wasn't perfectly coded, right? I mean- mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had my bag of ice cream dice samples I had, and I had my bag of um, pride samples, the, the mm-hmm. very, very first ones. So my sister did the show with me because we we kind of bookended it with a family vacation because yep. the three of us had never been to Germany together. Mm-hmm. So we went and saw relatives, saw friends, you know, and that was great. And then my sister and I had five days where we got to hang out for the first time since we were kids, just mm-hmm. the two of us. And my sister looks around the hotel room, she grabs a pot, a dog dish, and a Kleenex box, mm-hmm. and a couple of pillowcases, yeah. and that becomes our display. So I get I, I get the dog it. dish. Sorry, sorry, but I'm like, I get the dog dish. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. But tell me where does the pot and the pillowcases come in? <laughs> so the so the dog dish was let's say two inches off the ground, pot yeah. was three inches, and then you got the Kleenex box in between. Mm-hmm. So you've got your levels, right? Because that yeah. carries the eye through, right? So that was the okay. display part of it. And then we had no fabric. 
So my sister grabbed a couple of pillowcases from the hotel room mm -hmm. and laid them out on top as our fabric. Got it. Okay. Because I was like, <laughs> what? We basically used a jewelry case because I didn't, um, I didn't want to display my dice the way everyone else does, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you go and you just like, it goes back to the first Kickstarter being so overwhelming. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't want to overwhelm people visually. I wanted them to be able to take a breath in between seeing things. Right. Like we mm -hmm. need that space visually. Otherwise it just becomes too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the first day I go to pull into the parking spot that I paid for dude weighs me off <laughs> at this point in time, I'm stressed. My, my stuff isn't here. Mm -hmm. I've paid a lot of money to be here and this dude weighs me off. So I go with the intention, of course, of doing a U-turn and there's about a kilometer and a half, two kilometers worth of cars. So this Thursday, yeah. I look at my sister. I'm like, nope, we're going to the hotel. I'm like, I will be much more effective trying to get my stock to sell mm -hmm. if I have access to internet and I'm not busy talking. Yeah. So we go back to the hotel. Uh, this wonderful, wonderful person in one of in a dice group happened to know someone who worked for German UPS. Oh, cool. And got me in touch with them. And they're like, hey, they don't work in the customs part of it. They don't work in the delivery part, but like they might be able to move you a little bit further ahead or get you in contact with the right person. Yep. So it sounded like it was going to get to the hotel possibly Friday or Saturday. Then it sounded mm -hmm. like you know, maybe even Sunday. And then eventually it was like, it was very clear that it just was not going to happen. But yeah. having that little bit of hope was what we needed. So we went in on Friday and like we were smiles and happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wrote a sign in poorly translated German that basically said, customs has all my stuff. Sorry, I can't sell anything. <laughs> and it's like the amount of, the amount of people who uh, walked by and just like did this one, like, you know, when, when you get just that head shake of like, mm -hmm. it's, I feel it's your not pain. a disappointed parent, like I'll talk right. about yeah. the parental one where it's just like, oh, you know, this one's like the, oh, buddy, I feel for you, right? Exactly. The, I so feel your pain. We made it through Spiel and then Sunday, mm -hmm. um, Sunday, I still had some of the like little 36 mil uh, pipped QED sixes. So mm -hmm. my sister and I, we put them out in a bowl. We put a poorly translated German sign out that said, take what you want. We're enjoying Spiel. We'll be back in a couple of hours, roughly, you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. we just actually enjoyed the show. And we went, we walked around and we just like, we came back, all the dice were gone. And it like, it was, it was a very good experience. And there was a couple of things that were just like super funny about it. the, mm -hmm. There was a company that did not make my ice cream dice that had both my Neapolitan and my rainbow sherbet sets. Mm -hmm. And I'm and I'm like, how do you have these? I mean, I've there was there was another company that also tried to steal my sample cast. Well, they didn't steal. They bought my sample cast offs from the factory that did the samples, and yeah. then they were gonna sell them as loose dice. And mm -hmm. thankfully someone alerted me to it. So I got in touch with them and they destroyed them and then used what was really cool with it was that they destroyed my dice mm -hmm. and then they put those pieces of resin into transparent resin dice that they then sold so like they recycled my dice 
and <laughs> and made a whole new batch of dice out of it. I was, it's like, I am, I'm impressed with your cleverness. Like, yeah. this is a really good way to turn something that would have been a hundred percent loss into something usable. Mm -hmm. I can't be mad at that. Like, it can be bad if you're selling my dice, but I can't be mad if you're selling bits and pieces of my dice and bits and pieces of other people's dice in dice. Hmm. That is interesting. That is very interesting. So how, I mean, so so we've kind of, you know, I'm not huge into the dice world, right? So I don't know a lot, but I have heard those tales of people buying those, you know, molds off of, you know, off the companies in China and then just packaging them up and selling them as their own. In the like two years that I've been doing this, I've, I've watched the dice business get incredibly cutthroat. It's, uh, I think what a lot of people see is, you know, you reach out to any factory in China and you find out what the wholesale cost of dice is, right? Mm -hmm. And people go, oh man, like that's a high profit margin. It's, it's solid. It really is. But they think it's like, and then they go to Kickstarter or they start a site and, you know, they, they think that copying other people's designs is going to sell mm -hmm. what they often, I mean, some of them get away with it hundred percent. But what they don't often realize is that there is a bunch of us, both from the mass production point of view and from the handmade point of view, that fiercely protect one another. Like, I I have people where I, I will tell them if I see their dice on, on another site, and we're not friends in terms mm -hmm. of like, we've never had coffee, we've probably never even met face to face. Yeah. But if you are making or designing dice and you are putting work in, that work should not be outright stolen, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like there's there's been a there's been an upsurge recently in on Facebook where a couple of different companies have stolen uh, handmade and and other dice designers and dice companies images and mm -hmm. you know put them on their site as like we sell these dice and some of these designs are so incredibly unique that nobody else does them. There's, um, I follow Yanir on Instagram. And so I, I love her dice. Yeah. I, that's, it's so intricate and so unique. And you know what I mean? I feel like she would be somebody that if you contacted her and said like, I feel, you know what I mean? I think that this would be important to me. She would be able to make something that is representative of you. Um, or representative of what you wanted and that they're so custom and so specific. And every time I see something on Instagram, I was like, that's that's genius. That's beautiful. That's interesting. She's the only handmade dice maker that I actually tried to get a pre-order in and the, the set that I wanted was sold out. Like there was mm -hmm. one where I'm just like, I want that set, you know, mm -hmm. and I have a lot of friends that make stunning dice. Like uh, Greenleaf Geek is is a very good friend yep. of mine, and uh, she gifted me a handmade set because uh, I I do a lot of like I help a lot of people behind the scenes because I'm mm -hmm. I'm open. Like if you want to know how to make dice, I if you do the basics, I will help you with the rest. Mm -hmm. You know, I will I will give you tips and I will not tell you how to do it, but I will tell you what to watch out for and. Mm -hmm what to look for in, you know, in good companies, bad companies, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. And uh, 
And Dice Y made me a wonderful custom set because a few, a month, roughly month and a bit ago, I was at home and I was just like, I have a lot of stock. Contrary to what a lot of people might think, like I don't actually sell a lot of dice. I, <laughs> I sell enough to, to keep the business going, but yeah. I'm not sitting on stacks of cash, right? I've got boxes of hundreds of dice, <laughs> you know, literally some, some are sets that I wholesale and then re retail. And then, you know, some are my own designs, but the, uh, I was like, I really want some cool stuff, but I don't have money to spend on it. Mm -hmm. So I offered up a trade and I basically said, I'm gonna, cause the other thing is I'm, I'm a former graphic designer and I find that a lot of artists and graphic designers undercharge and undervalue their work. Yeah. So I wanted to give people an opportunity to name their price. Mm -hmm. So what I said was I will, I'm gonna put a hundred sets aside and you name your price from one to five, or if what you do is worth more than five sets of dice, mm -hmm. talk to me and, and we'll, we'll discuss it. Like, this isn't a hard and fast number, but this is a range, you know? Mm -hmm. And tell me what you're willing to trade. And people are like, can I trade this? I said, yeah. Like, I literally didn't, I said no to not a single person. So I have like, I have multiple dice bags coming. I have hand, mm -hmm. uh, I have a nice handmade D20 from, oh crap, what's her? <laughs> I hate when I know their personal name and I can remember it, but I can't remember their business name. Uh, or like me where I just slaughter everybody's name. Cause I'm like, you know. So yeah, like I've got, you know, like I've received hand crocheted dice bags, uh, mm -hmm. crocheted plushies. Um, I got a dice bag today from Norway that that I'm very excited about. You know, I've gotten a handmade set of dice. Uh, where is it? I know it's around here. So this this was a bonus that uh, uh, Dice OI made for me. And like, what this is that is the, in the middle? Ice cream. Oh, it's, it's, ice oh, cream it's a little ice cream cone. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I see it. Mm -hmm. Right, and like it's, I I. I love it. I can't wait to actually have some floating shelves in my office that I can actually put things up that I want to keep safe. But, you know, like reaching out to the community and saying, hey, I, whatever you do, do you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and whatever you want from me, we can discuss because it's, yeah. I, it bothers me seeing people undervalue themselves. Uh, when I was in design school, our dean taught us the the triangle and the triangle is one of the most valuable it is oh, yeah. the most valuable lesson we're in film production i understand yeah. the triangle when somebody's like i need this and i need it tomorrow but i only have this much money and i was like um yeah the time the money um and what's the other one what's the other quality, resource yeah and quality yeah. so i was like yes i can get you this but i need five times more money to hire five times more people to meet your deadline right and like so many people don't know about the triangle and like it's such a, it's so incredibly valuable, right? Because it instantly becomes, okay, so, so you want this quick and you want it really, really high quality. Yeah. I control the money, you know, you want it cheap. I control the time. Yep. Right. It's like, and, and having that control of that one facet of the triangle makes talking contracts and, and business so much easier because it, like it lays things out very simply for the mm -hmm. client, you know, 
doesn't mean they'll always be happy with with what you're laying out but from from a creative standpoint and a business standpoint it's a lot easier to say okay i can get you something quality i can get it for you in a timely manner and Mm -hmm. here's a reasonable price what what were your biggest key takeaways from your first from the first ice cream dice kickstarter on like these are the things that worked really well these are the things that we need to fix i was gonna say yeah because we didn't touch about really well either so what worked really well was being brutally honest and transparent like i documented and shared every misstep i made and i made all you know i made a few doozies and then i made some that were just like smaller ones you know i always kind of laugh at myself for having started a business account but it makes sense because people will often you know it's more self-explanatory than like mark schubert right yeah so because mm-hmm. there's very little separation between me and the business in terms of how we're represented. Mm-hmm. Um, I drop less F-bombs on as ice cream dice and I still drop them, you know. But like the, the things that worked well were so organic and they're not things that could ever be, like they're not repeatable. Like having a mm-hmm. community come around, you know, and and accept me and help build me up and share what I did, you know, and offer criticism and, and constructive mm-hmm. feedback, right? Like those are, those are helpful. Those are great things that ultimately made for better designs. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the second last day of the campaign, the first fulfillment company that I had, I had to sever ties with. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys called me, he's like, I've done some stupid things. I've been busted. If you need to throw me under the bus, go ahead. But I really suggest that for your brand, like you, you sever ties. He's like, you're just starting and, and you've got a great community around you and you, you don't need us bringing you down. Mm -hmm. So I was freaking out because obviously with a Kickstarter, the, the first thing that I always tell people to look into really is Take care of your fulfillment before you even launch, like lock okay. down your partner, you know, do your research. Like, even if you don't have your partner locked down, do your research. So, you know, the cost and the price, mm-hmm. um, what their expected delivery times are, how, how do they process things? Like, what do they use on their spreadsheet? Because ultimately fulfillment is the only thing a backer cares about besides the quality of the product, mm-hmm. right? It's like if, if you support my Kickstarter and I get you your stuff and it looks pretty decent, you're happy. Whereas if it comes and, you know, the package has been ripped or, you know, things are missing, which I've, I haven't had packages ripped, but I have had packages not arrive and I have had things yeah. go missing. Right. But once again, it comes back to that com- complexity of the first one, because Ultimately, there was thousands of options for people to take because I wasn't able to um, make people add the extra four dice to turn it up to 11, right, to, as the same design. So essentially, mm-hmm. it was 16 different designs because of the two finishes yep. that could then be, you know, multiplied and multiplied and multiplied where 
you know, I'm going to get butterscotch, but I want the extra four to be Neo or, mm -hmm. you know, so like the simplicity and the, yeah, like what I did well was all organic and all community based. I, after I sort of announced that I, you know, didn't have a fulfillment partner and I was freaking out a little bit, uh, Dean, Dean Dice, so not Dean D Dice, who I don't like, but Dean Dice uh, from the UK reached mm -hmm. out to me and Die Hard Dice also reached out to me. They're like, hey, you know what? Like, if we can help you with fulfillment, let me know because we would love to. Um, and ultimately, the connection that Dean Dice got for me is now my fulfillment team, who also make um, amazing dice. If, uh, have either of you seen Fathom Dice yet? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, if are either of you Space Nuts? A little bit. Maybe we should perform a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Check it out after this because the dice are handmade and they mm. represent the entire solar system and they are mm. insane. Uh, also, they uh, the same team is uh, helping uh, Tabletop Loot launch their first custom line. So like. That is one thing. Really yeah, like that is one thing and... that I do find with this community is that when you talk to people on a personal level, they are absolutely willing to help you. I mean, there are other mm -hmm. people like Chris from Nord Games who we had in the chair, and he's like, "I will tell you all of these things. All you have to do is just ask me." It's yeah. it's mm -hmm. insane that like you know at some point people are like, "Yeah, let me share with you all of my trials and tribulations over the last ten years, so you don't do it." I'm like, "Wow." Like no other yeah. company, like a large mm -hmm. company would never do that. You would never go to Starbucks and be like, hey, I need help making, co you know, coffee distribution. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's like, there's been nice little like tidbits and, and support given before I launched. Mm -hmm. um, Dragon Turtle Games, who launched a... Yep. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we play Coffee 2185. Mm -hmm. I want to play... <laughs> I have not played it. I own it and I have not played. But Robert, who runs that company, mm -hmm. um, before I launched, he's like, hey, you know, like I've run a couple of these and like here are a couple of the tips and tricks that, that I would recommend to sort of build up that momentum so that when you actually hit that launch button, mm -hmm. people care, right? Yeah. So like one of his things was, you know, from 10 days out, do a countdown, you know? And like for me, one of the big things that I did that I found helpful is I gave away... In some cases, I actually gave away every sample set. I still, mm -hmm. like there's a couple of designs that never made it to, to production uh, where I ended up giving away my last sample sets. But when I gave them away on Twitter, I don't ask for a follow. I, I don't want people to follow me just mm -hmm. for a giveaway. Like if you want to follow me, follow me for whatever content I happen to be focused on at that point in time. You know, sometimes it's dice, sometimes it's lifting voices, you mm -hmm. know, and sometimes it's just random stuff because I've been a stay-at-home dad for oh my god, we're still in 2020. No, okay, Tw no, going back <laughs> to 2019. Uh, so just. <laughs> The best part of quarantine is like, I saw somebody wear a t-shirt that said Wednesday and I had to really think hard, was it Wednesday? Cause I don't know. <laughs> That's actually really kind of hilarious and awesome. You know, but so like- real. <laughs> totally. 
right? Like I've spent, I've spent a big bulk of the time in the first Kickstarter as a stay-at-home dad. I spent, mm -hmm. a, I've been a stay-at-home dad since quarantine happened here, yep. which was like early March, right? Yep. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my wife has thankfully been able to work and uh, her childcare center, well, all the childcare centers in Alberta can open, which mm -hmm. means starting on the 23rd, my little dude gets to go to childcare for three days a week, which means I actually get focus with real energy mm -hmm. and a wakefulness on, on the business. And it's like yeah. one of the things that I've done with this one is I've really tried to, I try and only do one or at most two promotional posts, tweets per day on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Because I think right now with everything that's going on, it's more important that other voices are heard. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've hit my goal. It's, it's, you know, it's almost been tripled and obviously, yes, I want to be as successful as possible. hundred percent. And as a human, I don't need to be shouting above other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so I try and do one sort of like, morning ish and then i'll try and do one later in the evening because that way like my my four biggest supporting countries are the u.s is u.s canada uk and australia mm, yeah, right? got uk it. and australia they're 12 hours away from me so you know posting mm -hmm. stuff in the morning they're like i'm too tired to check this out right mm. and like really what i yeah going back to the question which is like what did i do well was I organic? I told you it was going to be, I told you it was going to just go wherever. Oh, well, the well, just and, I, be and I told you I was going to ramble. So it, yep. it works well that cool. your format fits my <laughs> style. Um, is ultimately like I organically built a community, support that community and love that community. Like I, I'm so fortunate to be in my mid forties and finally running my own business. And if you would have talked to me even six years, seven years ago, I would have looked at you and I would have been like, I don't even play D&D, you know, or RPGs at all, much mm -hmm. less, you know, am I going to run a d dice design company or a dice company? So yeah, I, how actually that, sorry, can I, I was first? just going to say, uh, no. Okay, fine. Yes, you okay. certainly can Thank go you. first. I'm sorry. Well, no, because that's actually interesting because, like, I assumed when you were talking about working with um, children and bringing the D and you know bringing D and D to them that you had been a longtime player. Just because I think most people start younger, and then yes. they're like, "I'm going to teach my children. I'm going to teach other children. I'm going to spread to the community. I'm going to grow and develop our community." Um, when did you actually start? playing rpgs like how did you get into it so i so i started playing when i was about 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. um one of my friends in the very small town that i grew up in his big brother liked rpgs so mm -hmm. we initially started with dnd i think it was advanced dnd probably yep. at about that time and we grew tired of the tropes really really quickly so we moved on to Rifts mm -hmm. and we we're like, ah, this is okay. And then eventually we settled on GURPS. So back to RPGs. So I didn't yep. play for years, had no one interested. Uh, no one ever talked to me about, it. I'm sure like if I kind of went back and reached out to a bunch of old friends, I'd be like, yeah, dude, we were playing for like ever. 
why didn't you ask us to play? Because you never told me. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we were still yeah. playing in mom's basement, right? Um, and I got reintroduced to D&D uh, 5E mm-hmm. when I was working with a young man with autism. Uh, he was fairly high functioning and super geeky. And we were trying, like my, like the specific role that I was given was like, get him out in public, help him learn his social skills, right? Like help him develop those a little bit stronger and help him pick up on social cues. Mm -hmm. So we tried going to a bunch of different groups that were uh, aligned with his fandoms, like animes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, none of them he felt comfortable at, none of them he wanted to be at. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were at his local game store, which is one of the bigger ones in Western Canada. And he, I looked at the calendar to see what might interest him. And all of a sudden I see mm-hmm. D&D like 101 for beginners. I'm like, yeah. oh, this might be really good for him because he, like many people with autism, um, takes things very literally, right? Yeah. Like, so for me, the initial concept and the initial idea was like getting him to role play and and fake play might help him e- express some of the things that he wasn't capable of expressing as himself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we started playing and I realized like his social skills picked up for quite a while. And then uh, eventually the that particular night got incredibly popular and they were running three tables of about 10 people and the volume was just too much for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a group of us who'd been playing for a few months together broke off and did our own private game for a little bit. And then a couple of things happened. And well, ultimately for me, what happened was Damien was born. Mm -hmm. So a little bit before he was born, you know, I, I said to my friend, I was like, Hey dude, like I got to stop working with you. I can't take you to D and D, you know, but there's buses and he, he simply refused to take buses. Right. Like, yeah old enough to make those choices, old enough to make those Mm -hmm. decisions. And that was his choice. But I came out of it um, with like this deep burning love because I love storytelling. It's, uh, I was a drama geek Mm -hmm. and I was the drama geek who when the teacher said, hey, you need to pick one of these monologues. I always asked, can I write my own? Only once was I denied. Only once was I denied. They're like, no, we need you to read like, I don't know, Shakespeare or whatever, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, fine, mm-hmm. I'll do your Shakespeare, but can I can I do a little bit of my own? No, no, Mark, you can't. Fine, fine, I'll <laughs> follow your rules. But, you know, ultimately it, it became this thing. So I started, um, so for, after, after a private group broke down, I started hosting a game at my own house and I had one of the, one of the kids that I played with um, at the game store, him and his dad came and played. So the Mm -hmm. kid was 10 dad's 50 something. And like, it was awesome to have them play together. And then I had another dad and his teenage daughter come and play because one of the, one of the rules at my table was that it was never complete unless I had at least one, one person who identified as female. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big reasons for that is because the context of tropes and perspectives for females is so distinctly different than it mm-hmm. is for men. And I 
like that. I like, I enjoy people who are like, no, that's not how I see it. Oh, how do you see it? Well, you know, and then you like, you give them that opportunity to be like, well, I think a warrior can be this or this or that, you know, or whatever the case is, right? Like a wizard can, you know, and eventually between like between having a baby and life you know that group kind of just disappeared mm -hmm. basically we we yeah. fought Tiamat because I was sick and tired of running this second book I was like <laughs> guys I hate this campaign. it's the first campaign I ran I I thought I would run the you know the the, the easiest one mm -hmm. and uh I hate this so I'm going to give you a choice. We can either call it a day mm -hmm. or we can have our, we can skip literally everything and just battle TMN and see who lives and see who doesn't, yeah. you know, and, and I will make it the best battle that I can. Cause so they're like, yeah, we totally want to fight TMN. And uh, what was super funny was that the day that the, the dad and his daughter joined, mm -hmm. um, I pulled out the deck of many. So the group was at around level five or level six at this point in time. Mm -hmm. His daughter pulls the, the card that allows you to level up two. Oh, wow. Every, like my, my regular players that have been playing with me regularly up to that point, mm -hmm. all pulled crap, like terrible cards. Mm -hmm. And she pulls this and they're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, it is what it is. Now you guys got to level some monk, you know, they're mm -hmm. like, that's helpful, right? She was, a, she was a monk. Oh yeah, she was a <laughs> badass monk. Yeah, uh, I, I'm a fan of monks and I'm a fan of rogues, and I'm actually a fan of the multi-classing, even though there's so many redundancies between the two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the idea of being able to sneak attack from the ceiling because you can walk on anything is <laughs> right. Surprise! Coming down with daggers. <laughs> Our fighter has boots of spider climb, or mm -hmm. he, we change them to slippers, or they're the slippers of spider climb. Crocs, uh, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he always tries to walk horizontal and vertically on any surface that he can, just because he can. Yeah. yeah. And it is a tactical advantage. Like I, I am terrible at running combat. It is the, it is the single thing that, like, as a DM, I'm mm -hmm. simply not good at. It's like. There's other things that I'm weak in, but I could build those up. But like combat, I just, I don't particularly enjoy it mm -hmm. from either side. No, I get that. That's, yeah. Especially at high level, it becomes just a battle of attrition of just yeah over and over yes. and over. So I think the highest level I've played, I think I did a one shot where I was level 15 or level 17. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's just like obliterated, 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 yeah. you know what I mean? Like you said, the yeah. you know where it's just attrition. You're just like, okay, well, why are we doing these combats mm -hmm. if it doesn't really move the story forward? Other yep. than you get the glimpse of the big bad. Well, you know what? You could have just had him disappearing into the shadows as we crested the hill, anyways. You know, there was no need to have a you know a swarm of whatever mm -hmm. come and attack us. And in fact, that's actually more fun. Because um, I know which module, the two modules, the two books that you're talking about, um, you know, and at the end it's Tiamat. But in the beginning, our group was like, oh my God, there's a dragon at a castle. We can't do this. Yeah. But it was just yeah. sort of flying off in the distance. We're like, 
we should run away. Like it was just <laughs> like we thought for serious. Like we were seriously like we got to run away. This is insane. Try, we can't do this. Yeah, and then trying to telegraph. It's okay. You can go in. You need to go in. <laughs> the story requires you to go in. Yeah. It right and like that's that fun part though at the very mm-hmm. opening right where you're like we just started. There's a dragon. What mm-hmm. do you? We're all gonna die. So then we got to sneak around and do all this other stuff. But yeah, anyway. I, th- I think the yeah. first couple of chapters of that book were really good. Uh, the fourth chapter uh, on the road, like that's when our group fell apart. Like it yeah. just went like as a DM, especially. It was that that was that was the one that killed me. I was just like, there are 30 NPCs here. I have to memorize and roll randomly for you to interact with. I'm like, ah. Uh, yeah. Like I like I shortened that trip drastically. Mm-hmm. Spoon fed them a couple of the like NPCs. I was just like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, guys. I'm not running you through however many days of travel it was supposed to be. I'm like, we'll be here for sessions and sessions mm-hmm. and sessions, and it'll just be boring as hell. Oh look, yeah. we're on the road. Oh look, we meet an enemy. Yeah. Oh, we defeat enemy. We find mm-hmm. out clue about NPC. We already have a pretty good clue about NPC. Mm-hmm. Just let me interrogate them. Okay, cool. Right? It's like yeah. my my favorite moment from that campaign was the father and son team. Um, I don't remember what dad was playing, but son was playing a, a gnome fighter. I think mm-hmm. and playing with like 10 and 11 year old kids you really kind of learn how to um let go of any preconceived notions and like really do the rule of cool right yeah, yeah. so so they want to tag team and you know the part where like you're about to go down into the phylactery and like there's the guard standing right so the kids like I want to I want my dad to throw me up in the air. I want to stand on my spiked shield and I want to ride it down onto the top of this guard Mm -hmm. and try and crush him. I'm like, that sounds epic and amazing. (laughs) Here are the checks that I need you to do. I need, you know, like dad did a strength and athletics check to make sure Mm -hmm. that like a, like obviously he's a gnome. So most standard characters can Mm -hmm. lift it but can you actually aim it right? And then it was, you know, an acrobatics check. Like, can you actually grab your shield and get it under your feet? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a strength check as you're going down, like how much damage you did. And I base, um, Final Destination, you guys ever see those movies? Do you yeah. see mm-hmm. the one where like the dude gets accordioned in the glass? That was like, that was how I described <laughs> the guard. Oh, nice. Just okay, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I really actually enjoy playing uh, role playing games with kids, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that D and D does poorly for kids is being too rule heavy, right? It's like okay. there's you know there's other games where it's just simply not as crunchy, but it also mm-hmm. comes from a very crunchy beginning yeah. do you like, think that's the kid that you were um the person that you were dealing with with autism um was that sort of a facet of it that kept him or her engaged um 
just because again, just kind of looking at some of these children, they just have this amazing knack to be like, this is exactly what you said 10 days ago, verbatim, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, I believe you. <laughs> you know, I will say that like, that didn't really show up with him that much, mm-hmm. but it really showed up with my school group, mm-hmm. right? Where like, we had, the best thing was that with my school group, I had a co-DM because we had mm-hmm. about eight kids. Yeah. And when you're dealing with kids that are like nine to 11, they're, they're gonna go off the rails. And what we did was we would just, we wouldn't deliberately break them off, but like if one particular group wanted to do something, one of us would step aside and mm-hmm. like DM that okay. group. And he was strong in every spot that I was weak. Um, and I got a super helpful uh, character sheet from um they go by scriv the bard on twitter mm-hmm. and they do a lot of work modifying things for D. so they for kids and they have a modified character sheet that gets rid of the like all the different abilities and mm-hmm. like you can still give those bonuses right but like there's no need to have 20 different things but the kids would always remember what happened and like we had about an hour and a half of time in which we would, in which we could play. And typically we would probably play for about 45 minutes to 50 minutes at that time because they're kids and like they need, you know, they need that time to think about what they're going to do. Or uh, we also gave them, um, I found a really good article where it like ranked the, the classes according to difficulty to play and learn. Mm-hmm. So I gave them up to medium and took out all the hard ones. So there wasn't a whole lot of spell casting. We had, I think mm-hmm. we had clerics and druids were the only two yeah. options really. And, uh, but oh, there was, there's just so many great moments. I got to do it for two years and then I got transferred out of that school, mm-hmm. which sucked. But the, the first group, um, one, the, Oh no. So, no no first group um one of the kids was in the behavior class mm-hmm. and uh so he goes in and uh my co-dm and i we'd we'd spent about 20 30 hours planning what we were going to do like we we had all these different concepts that we were running where eventually we we're going to take two groups separately dm them and then have them meet fight the big bad yeah. victory right and uh because my co-DM uh, and I have both taken improv classes and he's mm-hmm. taken more than me, he's like, here's how D&D works, kids. You're walking through a field. You have a treasure map. There's an oak tree and it's the only tree there. What do you do? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we search. Okay, roll. You find that one of the knots is a little bit out more. Well, I'm yeah. going to push it. Door opens and you see a staircase going down. And that's how, and that's how D&D works. I'm like, mm-hmm. no. No, we're throwing out everything that we did, and that is how we're starting our campaign. So we had them go against goblins, right? Low level mm-hmm. beginning. And this kid from the behavior class goes and just almost kills a goblin in his first shot. Mm-hmm. Second round comes around. I can can I save the goblin? Because he has this moment of empathy because yeah. like mm-hmm. obviously we're not describing it in in gory detail these kids don't mm-hmm. need that type of stuff but 
you know, we describe it where like you've almost killed this goblin. It is, it is limping, it is bleeding. It is mm-hmm. very clearly like not gonna live much longer. And he ended up getting an entire like side adventure out of it because the, the first <laughs> time he tried to get the goblin out to safety, he failed, failed mm-hmm. his role. So the second time I was like, are you gonna let him walk by with the goblin? You know, asking the other players and like a couple of them were like, no, no. I'm like, okay, you need to roll a persuasion check and you need to give, you need to come up with like a really good answer mm-hmm. as to like why you would take this goblin. I was like, he says to me, he's like, can I roll a deception? Because I want to lie to them that I'm going to interrogate it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he's like, don't worry. I'm just going to interrogate this goblin and I'm, I'm just going to take him to the back room. And he rolls and he hits a nat 20. Wow. And and the other player's like, so we can't stop him? No. No. He mm-hmm. is, you. your characters 100% believe this. You know as players that this is a lie. But yeah. your characters do not. And like he he saved this goblin. Um, and then yeah, it just became like a really kind of like labyrinthian thing because we wanted to take them through some of the different settings, right? Like mm-hmm. eventually the underground cave opened up into a trapdoor of a tavern. And their their ultimate final battle, because I asked, because we spent a day asking them, like, what do you want to fight? What environments do you want to be in? They're like volcano, unicorns. So I literally <laughs> bought one of those exploding volcano kits. I found a bunch of unicorn um, sure. eraser tips, eraser toppers, and painted their eyes red. Uh huh. And put them all over, and like it just yeah they like their final battle was an epic battle, and ultimately the the group was fifty fifty between uh, females and males. Mm-hmm. And, but for the last session, only the female showed up. So it was awesome. You know, I got to send <laughs> three new DMs with like a crazy amount of stuff out into the world. <laughs> and the other ones were just like, start a kit, start a kit, start a kit, start a kit. Like, yeah. But I do think that that's kind of what speaks to what gaming originally is, is that even though whatever's happening in the environment, it's more about the group that you're with. Like, I very rarely, as a woman, feel uncomfortable with role-playing with anybody about anything. Um, Sometimes I'm upset that I don't get to role-play things that would be interesting because my character wouldn't do that. But like, if I had a different character, I would absolutely do that thing or I would do this or I, do that. Um, I feel you so hard on that. Yeah, one. but I, I think, <laughs> but I think it's important <laughs> to like, you know, the fact that you had all girls at the end and they walked away with kits in order to DM that they're going to take that style that you guys did there and sort of propagate that into the world. Really wanted the kids to understand that anyone can play Mm -hmm. right and like it is one of those things that you said where like if you take the overarching gaming as a concept like bringing people to a table sitting them down having some good laughs telling some great stories like there are so many friendships and and so many relationships that are built that are like meaningful and Mm -hmm. and have more impact outside of the table than they do on like in game Mm -hmm. that most hobbies don't really um nurture 
that's right. Like that's one of the things I love is that like I I love sitting down, telling a story, and then seeing where it goes. Nope. Speaking of sitting down and seeing where a story goes, <laughs> you kind of like this interview. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're actually, you know, we're we're an hour and some into this, so Ooh. I think we are going to uh, wrap it up. But I think we should just uh, tell us a little bit about your current Kickstarter because that's kind yep, of this why is we're your, here. This is um, your selfish plug. So this is this is where you <laughs> say, plug. "Yep, selfish plug." Ice Cream Dice is presenting Pride Volume One currently right now on Kickstarter. Go to bit.ly/slash Pride Volume One, all one word. That will take you straight to the Kickstarter. We have asexual, bisexual, lesbian, non-binary, and pansexual dice right now. We have two sweet dice boxes, handmade and custom-made just for this uh, Kickstarter. Well, mainly for Ice Cream Dice by Talon and Claw. We're working with Friendly Dungeon Mom on sticker designs. We've got uh, Zio, who is uh, a wonderful designer who designed the pin design. Uh, I've got a giant beast. 55 mil handmade original eight bar pride flag big gay d20 this thing is numbered properly it is not a spin down you can roll this thing and it will roll true and it comes in its own sweet box because if you have a big gay dice you need a box to keep it in because you know what that thing needs to stay safe um we're almost 300 percent I'm super stoked. I'm really trying not to uh, overshadow other voices and just spam people. So tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your mom's mom, because you know what? This is how this campaign has been built, is by people literally taking the time to show their friends and say, hey, I've seen Pride Dice and I haven't seen these before. Or, you know, Mark's a pretty decent dude. He he's a good egg you know so here's here's one thing that i will say what dice are small you don't have to have only one set you can back this designer and that designer and mass marketed stuff you can buy some at walmart that's what bags are for yeah all right well that is going to wrap up our interview with mark schubert of Almost ice cream did. dice. I had to look because I want <laughs> sherbet. I right know, now. me too. <clears throat> and ice cream dice. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely going downstairs and having some lemon basil gelato. Nice. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and the Kickstarter is live now, so make sure that you go and support ice mm-hmm. cream dice pride volume uh, one. And thank you absolutely for having me. This was a crazy rambling, meandering conversation, <laughs> but you warned me, I warned you. Um, and hopefully you all took something out of this because there's, there's a, there's a lot of content. Should we wrap it up here? Yeah. Okay. You are, do you promise you're going to cut out the part where I call him Sherbert? No. Why would I do that? <laughs> because it's, I was, oh God, I knew I was going to do it and I just went and did it anyway. And I said, don't do it. And then I just went bleh, straight out the mouth. It's like, I, it's like I've been drinking all day. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Untitled Podcast. Thank you for joining us and for sticking around through that very uh, possibly lengthy but very entertaining interview mm-hmm. with Mark Schubert. Absolutely. And if anybody has any apps that will help me both read and speak English better, please send them to me. 
Do you need to get like foreign language apps for English? I think so. Okay. English to English translation, 100%. Ah, <laughs> uh, reminds me of airplane. So we are just going to pass that along and we're going to wrap up this episode of the Untitled Podcast. We'll see you next time.